Applications are now open for the Curtin University Northern Territory Advanced Acronym Course for 2022. Enroll today. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of Beyond Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Tex Gresham. Tex is a writer and cover designer. His brilliant new novel, Sunflower, is out November 22nd from Spaceboy Books. Welcome to the show, Tex. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry, I was drinking coffee. (laughs) I was lucky enough to read Sunflower over the last couple of weeks, and it blew me away. It's one of the most exciting books I've read recently. There's a lot of elements that bring to mind DFW and Pinchon, but it's completely different. Could you tell us a bit about the plot and how you came to write it? Um, yeah, so it's about a, uh, uh, at, at the base, if I was to give it, you know, a movie sort of summary, it's about a screenplay that, uh, predicts the future and uh, the people that sort of are surrounding this conspiracy to destroy the world, I guess, for better or maybe for worse. Um, and it's about a projectionist who, um, is sort of thrust into this world and doesn't really want to be because she doesn't want to be a character in a story, even though she is. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what it's about. It, it, it came together like, uh, I don't know. I just, I wanted to write something about different people. And uh, I mean, I just wrote the first act first of all the different characters and things like that. And, uh, I chose the one that stuck with me the most and, and sort of what their world would look like. And um, yeah, I um, wanted to write something that was mm, Hollywood centered, uh, you know, Philip K. Dickish, um, weird, fun, and, uh, you know, sort of paying tribute to the, to the novels that I, I, that changed my life and, and blew me away and stuff like that experimental stuff, but the experimental stuff, that's fun, not the experimental stuff that is a chore to read. (laughs) So you've said it in an alternate California in the near future, I suppose. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a bit about your setting? Um, Yeah. So it's uh, a California where um, a, a, great fault separation has happened. And so right above Santa Barbara, California has split off and uh, at at the borderline sort of it's split off. So it's like chunked out. It's still connected to Mexico. There's a border crossing bridge that connects that you have to have a interzone passport to get through. Um, And because of that, uh, California has developed into the Commonwealth, California Commonwealth. So it's like a uh, its own entity and um the rest of america is now known as the united american empire and it's the united american empire against the california commonwealth um which again also includes uh some of mexico so there's like now no separation between uh mexico and california so it's like 
blending into this one large sort of nation. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's, it, that's like a big aspect to it, but it, there's almost no difference between the California of now and the California of that other than, you know, uh, the labor camps and the uh, migra camps and the uh, all the camps where people who don't obey the rules are deported to and forced to work and all that stuff. It's got quite a man in a high castle vibe to it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, my, uh, I wanted to take every little aspect of every Philip K. Dick novel I've written or I've, I've read and write it into something that is, um, that if Philip K. Dick came back today, I would give this to him and, and, you know, as my gift to him kind of thing. So at the center of your story, you've got a mysterious screenplay by a filmmaker called Walp. And um, he gets killed off by a lion quite early in the, in, the, in the story. And your projectionist, Jackie, can you tell us a bit about her? Um, yeah, well, she's, uh, she's someone whose work, you know, I, I, I like the idea of someone whose work is their only identifying feature. Um, and what happens when they are kind of put into a situation where they can no longer rely on their work to identify with. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of who she is. Um, you know, she's, um, I don't know, she's cool. She's badass. She's, you know, um, someone who doesn't really want to do this, but does it because the movies tell her she's supposed to do it, even though she doesn't want to be one of those people who follows what the movies tell her to do. Um, and it being involved, it involving, you know, Wolf, um, who's kind of like, you know, her idol, uh, it becomes something else becomes more than, you know, um, if I was to, you know, if I was to, be thrust into a mystery involving Michael Bay, I don't think I would want to solve it. But if I was like thrust into a mystery involving like Paul Thomas Anderson or Kubrick, I'd be like, yeah, all right, let's solve this. You know? Um, Yeah. One of the things I love that she does is she plays the big blockbuster films that she doesn't like out of sync um, and makes the audience, you know, I guess question what they're watching, which comes back throughout your novel, I think, because we don't really know what's real and what's not and what's part of the screenplay. And if we're reading a screenplay or if uh, we're reading a novel about the screenplay, which I love the the ambiguity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfocus is uh, definitely a huge aspect to it is, you know, uh, I, I don't want it to be clear. You know, um, I have my idea, but I, I'm kind of, I hate movies that give you a message at the end and I don't like the idea that we have to get a message from a movie or we have to have something very clear, made clear. Um, and I want it to be, you know, if you think that we're reading the the novel, cool. If you think we're reading the screenplay, cool. Uh, uh, so it's that unfocusedness that uh, I definitely, I appreciate you noticing. And I, I, that's something I wanted. I definitely wanted to come through and I, there was um there was a i went and saw a movie um god i don't even remember which one it was but it was a blockbuster and 
I noticed that the projectionist had done that and I'm, you know, it wasn't intentional, but, uh, when I saw it in the theater, it was, a it was, what movie was it? It was a big blockbuster. Uh, I don't remember, but anyway, it is like, I hated it. And I remember watching it later and being like, this isn't that bad. And I, it was that unfocused, the unsinking of the sound, all that, that sort of just made me hate it. Um, and if I'd never watched it again, I would have always and forever hated that movie. <laughs> I thought that was a funny thing to do. Your love of cinema goes right through the book and you have deleted scenes as, I guess, footnotes that go at the back. Did you have any filmic inspirations for your book? Magnolia, for sure. Absolutely. That's a huge inspiration for the book. Magnolia. Cloud Atlas, the book, and also Cloud Atlas, the movie, is an inspiration. There's a there's a movie I mentioned it in the back, um, a movie 1114 by um, by Greg Marks is so one of those little like hyperlink movies that's um, just criminally underseen. And it's so good. Um, and it's so dark, but it's very funny. Uh, and I recommend it. That was an inspiration, but it's basically everything, you know, um, there's so much, you know, cinematic inspiration. There's, you know, Videodrome and David Cronenberg movies are all in here and basically lost my mind throwing in every cinematic reference I possibly could. But it's definitely, I'd say probably Inherent Vice and Magnolia are two of the biggest influences for this. Um, cinematically excellent it comes off really well i have to say it's just a it's very satisfying i read through it super quickly and the first thing i wanted to do when i finished it was go back to the beginning so i think you've done a great job with it cool thank you yeah that's uh that's good to hear uh that's part of the that's kind of what i wanted is like this desire to start it again almost immediately um that's how it is with like when I, I read Inherent Vice once a year. Uh, it's my favorite book. Um, but when I read it, I finish it and I just pretty much immediately want to start it again. Because um, it's one of those where it's like every, every time I read it, something else comes out. And uh, I think that's a great, a great novel. It's, I did a reread of that this year at the beginning of the year and I read it over a weekend and I don't know why with me, that's the kind of book that just every time I read it gets better and better. Yeah. One of the few that are like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's another, um, Brett Easton Ellis, uh, his Imperial Bedrooms is this book that I read once every couple of years that gets better every time I read it. It's this weird, really dark LA noir film or noir novel. Um, paranoid Hollywood LA noir thing. And it's just every time I read it, there's something else. The feeling of it is, yeah, it's like, it's just great. I don't, I don't know why I keep reading it. It's very short. It's very small, but it's the same thing with inherent vice. It's like every time I read it, it's better. Um, I love novels that are like that, but they're very few. Yeah, I agree. You're studying at the moment, you're studying film writing and you have a kid. So what's your writing process like? Um, oh God, N none. 
I don't have one. Uh, I procrastinate until I um, get really anxious. And then I sit down and I like write frantically for days and days and days. Um, That's basically the process. I don't write every day. Um, I don't believe in writing every day. I don't believe in it. I think writing every day is if you want to be Stephen King and making $420 million a year off your books, but pumping out stuff that people go, eh, I, f- I don't remember what it was after I read it. <laughs> if you want to write and do stuff that you, you aren't, that isn't going to be like a full product, you know, like there's things that, you know, like sunflower, once it's out of my hands, it can become a product, right? But like, I didn't intend at the start to write it as a product, whereas Stephen King writes from beginning to end with the product in mind. So I feel like if every day is for the product, um, but I'm, you know, uh, when inspiration strikes, but I, I, I sit down and, uh, you know, most of the time the writing process for me is, is thinking. Uh, a lot of thinking like you know I'll think about a script for like two years and then in a week I'll write it all Um, like I'll work everything out in my head and then I'll I'll write it all real fast so that's pretty much what how everything goes you know with novels it's different because I just I just go I don't really think too much until I'm deeper in and it feels like something full and final then I can like think and rearrange and things like that. How many screenplays have you written? There's old ones that I don't even consider. I mean, you know, before I started writing like seriously, seriously, I probably wrote like six or seven, maybe eight really bad ones that uh, they're gone. They're gone forever. I don't even know where they are, you know, uh, uh, but now I have um, I have about seven that I'm I'm very satisfied with that are done that I'm happy with. I have a TV pilot that Kurt and I kind of wrote that I'm happy with. Um, but yeah, I, I, I about seven. I'd say about seven. I plan on leaving this program with eight, eight, eight scripts in my arsenal. So I can say, yes, I have other stuff. So what are you working on at the moment? Um, I'm working on a script called Tooth Hammer uh, about a, a, a former pro boxer, or former semi-pro boxer, John Tooth Hammer, who runs a, a, a burger shop in a small Texas town and um, a young girl who's being sort of a, a a young girl who's being abused by her stepfather comes to John so that she can learn how to fight from him. And he sort of gets mixed up in with the, he, he, he gets unwillingly shoved in um, to a conflict with uh, the white supremacists in a small Texas town. So it's this dude trying to teach a girl how to fight while, you know, avoiding a climactic, fight with some white supremacists so um there's that and then um working on a open world novel um uh called you are not the main character um yeah where it's about 75 percent empty 
and you fill it in yourself. You write it. So I give you, I, I start it and then you have to write it. And then I break in and I give you more and you have to write it. And there's an ending. You don't have to reach it. You can tear it out and keep writing. And, um, just a fun little open world project. Uh, yeah. I love the idea of that. I think that getting people to write the blank parts of your story is just such a cool idea. Yeah, I, I hope people enjoy it. Um, but it's also, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a, um, there's a funness that comes with writing when you're free about it and you don't really like have the pressure of like, oh, I have to write this because I have to turn in this novel. It's, it's like, oh, I can just write for fun. And that's kind of what this project would be for someone. And I, I just anything that can get someone to do that, to get into that process, I think that's what I'm hoping for and for them to have fun with it and be weird and creative and write weird stuff because i think you know writing dear diary things is cool and all but when you start exploring the weird uncomfortable aspects of yourself that's when you kind of discover things maybe you didn't realize you felt or wanted to feel or questioned and that's i think that's important to me i know you've got a few things coming out next year could you tell us what's in the pipeline yeah i've got um uh, a collaborative novel that I wrote with uh, Kurt um, for our press, 100, 900% press. Um, so we're collaborating with a few people. I won't name them until we, you know, announce it. Um, there's that. I've got a poetry book coming out with um, really serious lit um, of my, it's sort of like my biography in poetry form. Um, sad funny little weird poems about my life um and then in 2023 i've got uh my short story collection violent candy um comes out with tolson books uh, and i'm really excited about that because there's some there's some things in there no one's ever read that is some of my favorite stuff but uh i've just never gotten it published Amazing. Looking forward to those. The, the collaborative novel sounds very interesting too. Yeah, it's, um, it's, about, two, it's about two writers, Kurt and uh, Tex, who go uh, on a book, book tour, um, but they're really going across country to bring uh, a Twitter friend of theirs drugs. Um, but along the way, they like totally forget to sell books and things like that. And, um they interact with some people in the literary community both living and dead uh in funny ways and and um yeah it's just a it's a fun thing i had a lot of fun with it we had a lot of fun we were joking and laughing and it's pretty fun we'll take a quick break here on beyond the zero we're speaking with tex gresham This week's episode is sponsored by the new Google Home Assist. Hey Google, what's the weather today? Why don't you go out and check for yourself, you fat piece of shit? Now, with 10% more attitude. Fuck off. We're back on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Tex Gresham. Let's move on to you as a reader. Tex, was there a gateway book for you? 
Um, yeah. Um, I mean, okay. So I didn't start reading until I was like 20. Uh, I, I read Catcher in the Rye in high school and that was sort of like, Ooh, I like books, but then I didn't read any books until I was like 20. That was Cell by Stephen King, which is my, I think it's probably my favorite standalone Stephen King, just cause it's like not at all Stephen King. It's just a fun zombie novel. Um, you know, and that kind of got me reading a little bit, but I think the book that got me like, like gateway, really gateway into, um, into sort of adventurous reading Probably Vallis by Philip K. Dick. Okay. Because there's a lot of Philip K. Dick, I think, in your, in Sunflower. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's absolute total, you know, the pink laser and all that stuff. That's Philip K. Dick. And, um, you know, I even debated on having a, a character who is Philip K. Dick, but I, I couldn't do that. I was like, okay, back up. That's too much. Um, you know, Infinite Jests, of course, is one of those ones that you I read and I was like, what the hell? You can do this, you know, and then trying to get through Gravity's Rainbow, same thing. And then the first time I read Don DeLillo was expansive, you know. And yeah, this last, I think last year I read all of his books and it was just like the greatest experience I've ever had. What are you reading at the moment and what are you watching at the moment? Right now I'm reading Ordinary People by Judith Guest. Guest? Geist? I don't know. Ordinary People and um, Search History by Eugene Lim. Um, and uh, Dear Cyborgs by Eugene Lim is a huge, uh, one of my favorite books of all time. It's a small book, but it's, hu- it's massive. Um, and this is sort of a sequel to it and it's just as great. You know, I think those two are masterpieces in in their own way and ordinary people is yeah it's it's you know it's just not the first time i've read it and it's just such a good family um story and tragic but it's like honest and sincere i didn't realize how much i had taken from ordinary or not taken from but you know taken inspiration from ordinary people for Sunflower until I re- I'm rereading it after having written Sunflower. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is where it came from. Um, uh, and then watching right now. Um, I'm watching just a lot of random movies. Um, like I watched Poltergeist the other day and Halloween and um, uh, Unforgiven, which is one of my favorite Westerns. I watch that like every week if I wanted to. Um, what else? What else did I watch? He got game. I watched he got game and do the right thing. Just watching a bunch of movies. I, I finished Squid Game and that was that was cool. Um, I thought that was good. I don't really watch a whole lot of TV TV. I mostly just pop in movies and I play a lot of video games too. Have you got some good video game recommendations? No, I mostly like garbage, you know, like time sucks, you know, things that are just like mental, like shutdown. I don't like games that are like, solve this puzzle, you know, uh, I like games that are like, do this mission, do this next mission, go harvest this thing, go look for this, you know, 
and that are are just completely uninvolved you know uh destiny 2 i've been playing that a lot and and that's just a total time suck that's just like oh pick up missions for the day go do them oh you're done wait until tomorrow you know um but it's just a mental reset it's like i don't play games to to like get invested i play games to just mentally reset um you know it's the same thing with like you know making music if i make music i'm not making music to like become a professional or to like sell or to like be a famous musician i'm doing it because it's like mathematical a little bit and it's a mental reset because i'm just looking at like you know little dots on a sequencer page and it's like oh okay on this thing i'm doing this and it's just i gotta reset my brain a lot We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Tex Gresham. This episode is brought to you by the new thriller from Michael Bay, Thomas Pinchon's Gravity's Rainbow, starring Tom Cruise as Tyrone Slothrop. If there is a shitty adaptation this year, we'll beat it by 10%. In cinemas now. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time to hear Texas Top 10. This is hard uh, a little bit because it changes every week, right? You know what? We'll go one, we'll, you know, we'll go from one to 10. I'll give you my number one first. Number <laughs> one is Inherent Vice. No question. That's my number one book of all time. Uh, if I was, yeah, if everything was to burn down and I was only to have one book, that that's it. That's, I'm fine with that. Um, number two, uh, probably Underworld, Don DeLillo. Um, number three is Ballas. Number three, number four, Broom of the System. David Foster Wallace, number five, maybe uh, American Psycho, six, Dear Cyborgs, Eugene Lim, um, seven, The Archive of Alternate Endings by Lindsay Drager, which is, uh, yeah, an, an unbelievable book, eight, Bear by uh, Marion Engel. Um, Am I on nine? Yeah. Nine will go. Um, I'll get guff for it, but I'll say nine. Nine is Factotum by Charles Bukowski. <laughs> it's such a funny book. Uh, cracks me up every time I read it. Mm, ten. Probably The Gunslinger, the first Dark Tower book. Uh, I think that's a great a great book and I could read it over and over again. I think the dark tower series is, is one of the best series ever written. Um, and I think it's kind of under read underappreciated for how expansive and cool it is. Um, those are the top 10 that could change next week. I could be like, why did I put underworld Don DeLillo on number two, you know, <laughs> With Dark Tower, what did you think of the film version of that? 
I don't know that we have enough time for me to rant about it. I hated it <laughs> so much. Um, it's such, it was such a mistake to try and cram so much, so much into an hour and 30 minutes. Like, honestly, you were, it was a mistake to go the hour and a half route. You, sh- it should have easily been two hours. If there was any movie out there that, that should have been two hours and 10 minutes, it's not, you know, um, whatever Marvel movies out right now, it should have been dark tower. Um, there's so much in there that, uh, yeah, you, that's what it should have been. And the fact that they didn't stick to the book is like the explanation is, um, dumb that they gave why they didn't stick to the book. It's a, it's a scam. Um, people wanted to see the book, you know, you re- you, you hear the movies coming out because you like the book and you want to see that interpretation of the book on screen. Yeah. You can make little changes, but sticking to the book is pretty, pretty, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm studying right now, cinematic adaptations. So I'm watching movies that have been adapted from books and when they stick to the book there there's a freedom there there's a an awesomeness when you see these images from a book in the in a movie it makes it something else but when they go away from the book um it doesn't work you know um no country for old men is a great movie because it's almost word for word the book like there's only one scene in the book that isn't in the movie and every line of dialogue in the book is in the movie. Um, same with inherent vice, you know, uh, although there's like so many things in inherent vice that isn't in the movie, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't a fan. It was, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> would you have a, a book that you would love to see adapted? Um, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a little arrogant here and, and say that I would love to see Sunflower adapted into a movie. I'd love it. I think that would be so fun. Um, but yeah, uh, Underworld, I would love to see the Underworld movie. Um, I think that has potential to be a really cool either movie or like, you know, um, a mini movie event. Um, White Noise is another one that would be a great movie. I mean, Infinite Jest would be an awesome movie um, or like not a, a, a movie, uh, a series, you know, because places are doing, you know, limited series, uh, which is basically just an extended movie now. You know, those are coming out all the time. And I think those books would be really good um, movies. Yeah, there's a there's a book by Zachary Schomburg, I think it's Schomburg, called Mammother. That's really good, um, and it's very weird. It's very um, you know magical realism, surreal about life in this small town. Um, but I think it would make a really beautiful movie. Um, Have you got a movie that you'd like to adapt yourself? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but it's being adapted. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote, I wrote the script for it, 
and uh, I found out that some a producer bought the rights to it, and I got I messaged him on every media outlet I could. I sent an email to his aide. I did I did everything um, to say, hey, I've got a script here, but I it was ignored. But it was um, Richard Brodigan's The Hawkline Monster. It's so uh, fun. I love that book. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I wrote the script. I was so happy with the script that I wrote. I was like, oh, my God, this scene would be so good. This scene would be so good. Um, you know, and the ending that I had, oh, man, it was it was going to go further than Brodigan, you know, because the ending, you remember the ending, right? So the ending I had was that, you know, they they dive in and grab the crystal and they come out and the house is destroyed, right? And it was going to be where they, because it's in, it takes place in Oregon or whatever. And, and the ending was going to be, you know, they come out of the house, the horse saves them. They come out of the house, all this stuff. And, and they start walking and they hear this sound and they look up, you know, it's cowboy story and they look up and there's a jet flying overhead and they walk and they walk all the way to Portland. They go and sit down at a bar in Portland and they start having a drink. And that's the end of the movie where it's these, you know, cowboys in wild west traverse time and space and all that stuff and end up in portland drinking a beer where it's like you know that's kind of what the whole story was about and i don't know i i was very pleased with it i thought it'd make a great movie but again nope <laughs> well i hope you'll find something equally as brilliant to adapt at some point yeah there was another one where uh did you hear about the McDonald's monopoly scam that happened in uh God, I forget where it was. I want to say it was um Maryland. I don't know. But the day that that story broke, I was like, I'm going to buy the rights to this. I don't care how much it costs, you know, and like six hours after the story broke, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck bought the rights for like $2 million. But <laughs> It's like this huge scam involving monopoly pieces for McDonald's where the person who was working at the factory was setting pieces aside and attaching them to specific like French fry boxes. And there was like people were winning millions uh, like these two or three people kept winning. And it was like there was this huge involving like the mafia and like the police and all this stuff. People who were all working with these monopoly McDonald's pieces to scam uh, millions and. It's very interesting and funny. <laughs> One of the, I don't know why, but your book reminded me of this story a little bit. A couple of years ago, these people put together this Philip K. Dick robot and, mm -hmm. and it was hitchhiking throughout America and then some dickheads uh, smashed it to pieces. But yeah. I thought that would be a, a very cool little film or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that would be. Um, I remember that. The, it was like, it made it through like i think it made it through canada unharmed and then came to america and in like two days was like smashed and it's like if that's not a like perfect metaphor for the world i don't know what is it's like you could go you know you could go backpacking in europe and you could go backpacking in, in canada and all this stuff and be totally fine you go hitchhiking in america two days and you're a headline from a new like weird serial killer or something <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah. an interesting story yeah yeah for sure i remember that though mm. all right 
Well, before we wrap it up, um, do you want to tell everybody where we can find you and where they can buy your brilliant book, Sunflower? So you can find me on Twitter um, at that squeaky pig. Uh, I'm also online www.squeakypeg.com and Sunflower won't be available for pre-order there's no pre-order there's no like email sign up or anything like that I'm kind of doing what what movies do where it's like you know you get a trailer and then you're like you know you, you can't see you can't see Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie until November 26th you know you can't you can buy your tickets, but you, you, you know, um, there's really no point. You just might as well wait until you go see the movie and go to the theater, buy your ticket and go see it. So um, November 22nd is going to be available on Amazon um, and through Space Boy and through me. I'll have copies, um, but Amazon is your best bet. You'll save on shipping and or or um, I think it'll be Amazon. BarnesandNoble.com, uh, uh, Bookshop.org. Um, I think it'll be it 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 will be available internationally, and it will be available as an ebook, which I'm kind of excited about that because I didn't think it would work, but then I was working on it being actual hyperlinks, where at the end of the, the of the uh, end of the no it, on the deleted scenes you can click on the deleted scene it'll take you to the deleted scene and then when you click there's the last word of the deleted scene you click on that it brings you back to that so it's it's easy to go back and forth in the book with the clicks and so uh i'm actually excited for it to be an ebook i can't wait till it comes out because i want my hard copy um i'm really looking forward to it and yeah I urge everybody to go out and buy it because I think it's going to be your new obsession. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it to be out. You know, it's been, I worked on it for like 10 years and, and, and uh, I'm nervous for, for people to finally have it and I'm excited for people to have it. And I'm nervous and I'm glad to be when it's finally out and done. I'm, I'm, it's going to be a relief. Well, Tex, thank you so much for joining me. That was really fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I, I love doing this kind of stuff. Thanks once again to Tex Gresham. His website is squeakypig.com. His new novel, Sunflower, is out on November 22nd from Spaceboy Books. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at beyondthezeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back for your next episode next week.